Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So you get through the House panel, I'm sorry, the Senate panel, with your abortion restrictions. To which I think the Indiana General Assembly, the Senate, they made a mistake here. I do. I don't think they hit it perfectly. Things can change. Then you've got the money. Are we getting our $225, the billion-dollar refund that Governor Holcomb wants to give? Because, after all, inflation. But now there's a conversation of what about uh, taxes, gas and utility taxes? What about a repeal on the sales tax on diapers, which should have happened months ago? And that's a conversation of politics as opposed to being rational. Please don't get it twisted. Uh, The Indiana Democratic Party has proven themselves uh, to be radical on the subject of abortion. Not engaged in a, well, what about this? Or, well, what about that? Or we should do this or this? No. There's only one thought to have, and every other thought is completely unacceptable. Of course, none of them will admit that abortion kills something which is part of their problem. If they won't admit the thing, how could they engage honestly about the thing? They've turned abortion into, of course, their religion. This is the only thing uh, that matters. Unfettered access to abortion, 24-7, 365, what I've been referring to as recreational abortion, and everything they have said proves me correct. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Guys, it's always a pleasure, man. This is fun stuff. Being able to engage these conversations, you know, the, the thing you would like to see from elected officials, but they don't do. We do here. It's a pleasure to do that. It's a pleasure to be part of that. So the Democratic Party has just proven themselves to be uh, a a bunch of of flopping fools. Talking point this, talking point that, no actual thought or or real conversation, no no mind at, at play, just ugly. And they are most surprised that those Republicans who ran as uh, as people who are right-to-lifers are actually right-to-lifers. They are shocked, and they are stunned. What was what did the Democratic Party say? It was, oh God! I mean, they, they've got a they've got a nonsense for everything. Oh, of course, it's ex, it's extremism. You know, every, everything they do. Uh, the right right to life is an extremist organization. That was it. That was the best one. That's how unserious the Indiana Democratic Party is. They're not engaged rationally. They're only engaged in the attack. Because to engage rationally, they would have to admit what it is they're all about. And they don't want to do that. So let's break these two things down. Abortion and then the money. And some people, some things are more important than the others. I mean, that's just just honestly speaking. The committee voted 7 to 5 to advance the bill banning abortions out of committee. There are amendments. Girls under the age of 16 can get abortions in the case of rape or incest up to 12 weeks of pregnancy. Girls and women over the age of 16 can get abortions in the case of rape or incest up to 8 weeks of pregnancy. Girls and women claiming rape or incest would have to sign an affidavit for their medical file. So your plan is to prosecute them if they lie about being raped? I mean, that's that's the question. That's the question. But let's get into the other part of it, this 16 thing. Why 16? 
If being an adult is 18, why are we putting this onus on 16? This is a mistake. This is a strange age to pick. Somebody sent me an email and said, well, it could be because of the age of consent to 16 in the state of, of Indiana. I would argue that if we believe adulthood starts at 18, should we even have an age of consent? Can a 16-year-old actually consent? Now, this goes into a, a, a series of conversations. For example, a 16-year-old and a 17-year-old are having a sexual relationship. We would not be surprised if such a thing was happening in the real world. We consider that to be two children. But let's say two 17-year-olds are having a, a sexual relationship. And it's, let's, 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 let's be old school. It's a boy and a girl. And uh, then the boy turns 18. Is he now guilty of a crime? Is he guilty of a sexual assault? Is he guilty of a crime that has him listed as a sexual predator for the rest of his days? I argue that these are things worthy of of discussion. But the idea of an abortion would mean that a child has the ability to decide their medical future. And I, of course, do not believe in this. So why did we somehow create 16 as being this dividing point of how many weeks you can have an abortion? If you told me that 16 was decided because, well, that is the age of consent in Indiana, if, um, I would say to you that in and of itself is awkward because we decide that 18 is the barrier between childhood and adulthood. And I believe that barrier matters very much and we should honor it in all things. 16 doesn't make any sense. But how does it become different under 16, over 16 in a difference of four weeks of when you can have the abortion? It doesn't make any sense. I am open to someone explaining to me scientifically how it makes sense. I don't think you have it. I believe it's arbitrary. And I don't know why the Republican Party is creating arbitrary rules. You look ridiculous. You are causing a problem or allowing a problem to be caused for you where one is not necessary. Indiana is with you on the idea of abortion. They don't want to outlaw it for everything, but man, they don't want it to be recreational like the Indiana Democratic Party. But when you create this moment, well, under 16, if you're 15 and 364 days, well, it's, it's, it's 12 weeks. But if you're 16, it's eight weeks. Sorry, this is an irrational thought. And every pro-life group who favors this is unserious. Unserious. Let me say it again. Unserious. Because you are engaged in a level of arbitrary that is unnecessary to your argument, which is abortion kills and is therefore wrong. And whether you want to engage that on a religious level or a moral level, you have stuck true to an argument. The minute you start talking about weeks, you are allowing for some kind of consideration. Okay, that consideration changing for a minor based on being 15 or 16 is such an irrational thought that it blows your argument 
to hell that you even think of these things. That you're even being somebody who's considering other uh, issues. You're not. You're throwing crap against the board like Harry Blackman did when he decided Roe v. Wade in 73. And my advice to you is stop it. House Republicans have to fix this. And how do House Republicans fix this? You change it to you change it to 12 weeks and you leave it be. You change it to 12 weeks and you leave it be under over whatever it is. That would well it's not I mean remember you're you're not 9 months you're actually a little bit more than that or it's or it's it, it's it's I don't know if it would be 12 weeks or 15 weeks they would consider a first trimester. That's my my point that I'm trying to get to. You're saying first trimester. That's what you're saying. When you decide to bring it down to eight weeks, you're just trying to have less abortions. I hear you. The way to have less abortions is to say no exceptions. But now you've engaged exceptions. Once you've done that, you better damn well listen to Hoosiers. They're going to tell you first trimester. That's what they're going to say. It's what they're going to say. It's what the vast majority is going to say. All right. All right, I can live with that. Are we done with this already? Can we please never bring this up again? That'd be great. Thank you. Republicans made a mistake here. They made a mistake here. This is foolhardy in terms of how they played this out. I think you just fix the thing and move on. But you look bad in the conversation, dudes. You do. Don't think otherwise. Because you didn't need this. You didn't have to do this to yourselves. You did it to yourselves because, as we know, the Indiana Republican Party, the Republican Party as a whole, is the party of stupid. Snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory, that's today's Republican Party in Indiana. So that's abortion. Now here comes the money. And I should say one more time on abortion. Remember, the Democrats have no plan except recreational abortion. These are people who believe in partial birth abortion. I question whether they believe in infanticide. I question it. I mean, I don't see a statement opposing it. It could be out there. Just send it to me. I'll read it on air. But they don't believe in a single restriction. They favor recreational abortion. Oh, why have why worry about contraception when I can just have an abortion? Oh, the baby's an inconvenience. I'll just have an abortion. That's what the Democratic Party is. Pretty gross stuff. Now let's talk about the money. House Ways and Means endorsing Holcomb's plan for a $225 rebate. They threw in an extra $20 million, as Eric Berman reported at WIBC.com, for a bunch of tax breaks including an increase in Indiana's adoption tax credit and child tax exemption, an extra boost for babies under one year old, old, and a repeal of the sales tax on diapers. It was Carrie Hamilton. She is a Democrat representative from Indianapolis who during the session last year won an amendment on a piece of legislation to get rid of the sales tax on diapers and feminine hygiene products. It didn't even get a vote. And I said at the time, Republicans, you screwed this up. You have a Democrat who wants to engage tax cuts. You say, hey, that's great, fantastic. Yes, we're in. We love this. Let's do a joint press conference. And then let's talk about 17 other items we should get rid of taxes on. You don't know how to do that? You really don't know how to do that? It's, embar- it's embarrassing already. She was right. Of course you get rid of the sales tax on diapers. You make it just a little bit easier 
100%. So I'm glad it's in here. But man, you could have done this last year. Don't play politics with people's lives. It's ridiculous. It's embarrassing. It's insulting. Democrats and Republicans, don't do it. It's wrong. The Senate is changing things around. They don't favor sending as much money back to to Hoosiers, but they do want to freeze gas taxes and utility taxes, which would save you about $70, I assume, a month. And then um, they want to put another $400 million towards unfunded teacher pension liabilities, which I actually thought were covered in the state of Indiana. I thought we were done with that. Clearly, I'm, I'm mistaken. And $200 million in reserve for construction costs. And you've got the Appropriations Chairman Ryan Mishler saying, I, for one, have a problem with giving money back if we can't pay for what we already put in our projects. It's our money, and if you can't pay it, you don't know how to budget it, maybe you got to go and new people got to go in. Don't be surprised when that answer comes hurtling towards your face. I, for one, have a problem with giving money back. Goodbye. That statement... I for one, utilizing I for one. Oh, you elitist snob. What country club do you go to that doesn't allow Jews in? When you make that statement, sir, uh, Chairman Mishler, is your is your pinky up? I for one have a problem with giving back money if we can't pay for what we already put in our projects. Good God. Let me adjust my monocle and top hat. Right. You make that statement, and then immediately afterwards, you say, Now, Jeeves, fetch me my tea. You, true or false, producer Ari, you sound like a putz when you say that. You do sound pretty pretentious when you say that, yeah. Good God. It's our money. What? You have a problem with giving us back our money? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty hot take. Let me tell you what I think about people who have a problem with giving me back my money. Now, look, I thought originally we could be friends. You know what I mean? You're a guy. I'm a guy. We both live in Indiana. We're lovely people. You got a lovely family. I got a lovely family. Who isn't lovely? Just absolutely lovely people. And then, and then all of a sudden, I got to hear, you won't believe it. Paulie, come listen to this. You won't believe it. You got a problem with giving me back my money? I for one, first of all, I for one, oh, I, I don't even know what to say about that. My God, what are you, what are you, you're the kind of guy who goes to park theater and thinks you're learning something. You for one have a problem with giving me back my money? Look, 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 look. The money ain't yours, the money is mine. And actually, it's, it belongs to my neighbors too. So here's what you do. You give back the money. Now, I don't want to have to argue with you about giving back the money, so let me say it again. You give back the money. Because if you don't give back the money, we'll get somebody else to give us back the money. You hear what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? I think you heard what I'm saying. Ridiculous commentary. So I don't know how that's going to work between the House and the Senate. There's a, there's a serious uh, uh, amount there uh, to, to discuss. I would like to see Democrats engage more in, in their thoughts and their ideas on it. They might have a good one. You already told people you're giving back the money. You got to give them back the money. But me, I wouldn't give back a billion. I'd give back two billion. You know, it's our cash. It's our cash. Hey, if we're giving back money, I say give it back good. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz.
Man, it was end of last week, start of this week, where we heard the Biden administration trying to redefine what is a recession. Well, now all the press, they've, uh, they've, they've gotten the word. They've gotten the word, and, uh, and they are now in the business of trying to redefine what a recession is. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. This is the Associated Press. By one common definition, the economy shrinking for consecutive quarters, the U.S. economy is on the cusp of a recession. Yet that definition isn't the one that counts. When it hurts me politically, we change the definition. What kind of what kind of journalism is this? It's not. It's Pravda. This is Soviet style journalism. This is obscene. And the Associated Press aren't the only ones who are doing this. Paul Krugman, ignore the two quarter rule. He wrote this in the in the New York Times. Ignore the two quarter rule, two quarters of negative GDP growth. We might have a recession, but we aren't in one now. Changing the definition to fix their economic issues, to help their guy. If you ever asked, is the media in concert with the Democratic Party, you know the answer is yes, here it is. Here it is, this isn't debate, these are facts, this is an obscenity. And remember, as I often say about uh, Paul Krugman, Paul Krugman is the guy who told you that the internet was a fad and would have no more impact on society than the fax machine. His words, uh, paraphrased, his words. That's who he is. That's what he believes. Look, you can get it wrong, but that's really wrong. And he continues to get it wrong. He's an economist. He's won a Nobel Prize for economics. And he's going to tell you to ignore the rules that economists work by? That's, it's gross. This is why trusting mainstream media, trusting the administration, is happening less and less and less and less. Because they can't be trusted. They've proven it. So, vote accordingly and find better sources. Hopefully, I'm one of them. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. I spoke yesterday about China and how it's irresponsible to allow China to own property in the United States. I shared an op-ed from Gordon Chang over there at Newsweek, expropriate China-owned farmland in America. I shared a story uh, about how uh, the Chinese wanted to uh, give $100 million to the National Arboretum and they were going to create a Chinese pavilion and the Arboretum was so excited about this. And then National Security took a look and said, you know they want to put this pagoda on the highest peak which would allow them to intercept communications? You know they want to bring in uh, construction materials via diplomatic pouches so they can't actually be looked at? It's a real danger. And we discussed this 
just the other day. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. And then I saw this morning that Chuck DeVore, writing at The Federalist, letting China purchase U.S. land poses an even bigger national security risk than you think. Chuck DeVore joins us right now. He is the Chief National Initiatives Officer at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. I knew him as a member of the California State Assembly when I lived in California. Uh, Senior Assistant to uh, members of Congress from 88 to 1990 and served in the Reagan era Pentagon. Uh, Chuck DeVore, Lieutenant Colonel in the U.S. Army Reserve retired, having served both in the National Guard and Reserves. He joins us right now um i i may be considered by some strong on this subject that no i would not allow communist chinese chinese party members or those associated with them in any way shape or form to own land or businesses in the united states but i wanted to dig in with you having your background the real national security risk in ways that maybe we haven't thought about it before so based on these two stories i i I gave you the cnn expose about huawei for example uh the newsweek the gordon chang piece talk to me about what it is that's happening and let's start breaking down where some of the risks are. Great to be with you again, Tony. You know, what really concerns me is when you start to connect the dots between what Huawei and ZTE have done in selling below cost, by the way, in many cases, cell tower equipment in strategically located areas in the heartland of the nation that just so happened to be near uh, U.S. Air Force bases that host our intercontinental ballistic missile uh, capability or uh, some of our uh, strategic bomber capability. And so when you look at that, you think, huh, that's interesting because cell towers have the ability not only to listen to transmissions, but they have the ability to jam, in other words, to, to interfere with communications because modern communications equipment, Tony, is able to be reprogrammed on the fly Uh, using radio frequencies, you can reprogram that transmitter and receiver to transmit or receive on different channels, for example, on military channels. It's not like the old days where you'd have to climb up to the tower and put in a different transmitter. So that's the, the, the one initial threat. And then I got to thinking about these huge land purchases also near U.S. military bases. And you stop to think, it's like, huh, I wonder if they've got some big generator farms there that could, for example, power jamming equipment or other electronic eavesdropping equipment. That could be a big threat, Tony. Now, let's talk about that for a moment. Talking to Chuck DeVore. You can find him on Twitter at Chuck DeVore, D-E-V-O-R-E, Chief National Initiatives Officer at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, TexasPolicy.com. As you note, We're not just talking about some land purchases. We're talking about $6.1 billion in real estate purchases. And you you took a look that many of these purchases are farmland or ranch land near U.S. military bases. That's right. That's right. I'm, I'm less concerned, per se, about these residential purchases where you have Chinese nationals really trying to hide their money and park their money outside of China. I can understand that. It's a corrupt country. They could take everything you have at a moment's notice. So that's one thing. But when you start seeing these multi-thousand-acre purchases near U.S. Air Force bases, near missile fields, and you start to think, put them from installing dual-use military equipment on those purchases. For example, 
the very large uh, spread that was purchased in South Texas on the border with Mexico in Del Rio, very close to Del Rio, next to Lackland Air Force Base, that was bought, Tony, by a retired lieutenant general in the People's Liberation Army. And, you know, you stop to think, is he really retired? Do you ever really retire from the People's Liberation Army? I don't think you actually get that opportunity. I don't think it works like you did in your, in your retirement, sir. Well, and see, that's the thing, is I still have my commission, right? I'm still a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army, so if, if they really need uh, 60-year-old slow colonels, they can call me up. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's something to really uh, consider. And, of, of course, this huge ranch on the southern border has a very large airstrip. Uh, you kind of wonder, maybe there's the potential of coordinating with transnational uh, drug cartels and human trafficking cartels as well. Uh, so unless you get a search warrant and go take a look at what's on that, I think it's a 160,000 acre parcel, uh, we may not know until it's too late, Tony. So now we get into how these things get stopped, sir. What, what are the rules about foreign ownership? And is it possible in the United States of America to create laws that prevent it and maybe asked in a different way do we have a political will amongst democrats and republicans to recognize the threat of china in equal measure and prevent chinese communist party members and their affiliates which is everyone from owning land and businesses in the u.s well i mean we don't of course because we welcome the cash being repatriated back to america right we run a huge hundred of billion-dollar-plus trade deficit with China every year. So when the dollars come back home, that allows us to spend those dollars to invest and to improve our productivity and jobs. The problem, Tony, is not all of these purchases are created equal. In other words, if you were to go look at foreign ownership of U.S. land, uh, as I recall, it's a little over 2%. Uh, the Europeans, you know, the Canadians really own the vast share of it. China's catching up quickly. What I'm really concerned about, though, are these strategic purchases, these purchases of land that just coincidentally happen to be located in very sensitive areas. You know, one more thing about that purchase, though, in South Texas, they've got a huge wind farm project that they're building down there, and they're going to connect into the Texas grid, and that gives them the capacity, if they wanted to, to mess with the Texas grid to potentially damage it. So the question before us, sir, is how do we stop it? Talking to Chuck DeVore of the Texas Public Policy uh, Foundation, Chuck DeVore, D-E-V-O-R-E, on Twitter, having served in the Reagan-era Pentagon. How do we stop it? Right? You talk about we, we want the cash. We want it repatriated to us. I don't deny that that is true. But there are some things more important uh, than, than cash, and national security is one of them. And we've seen with Huawei, this Chinese tech company, that Great Britain figured out, hey, we can't have them engaging our 5G network. Canada has figured out you can't have Huawei engaging the 5G network. They were assisting the United States in the detainment of a Huawei executive who's actually the daughter of, of the head of, of the company. 
people are on board with the idea that we have ourselves a serious problem. We're even hearing about President Biden, who's going to have a talk with Xi Jinping. Is I don't have faith in Biden to be strong, but at least I can appreciate uh, that there is a, a a possibility of a conversation that tries to set China straight in terms of dealing with the United States. There has to be a stopping of it, and the question before us is outside of the money, which is a hard thing to say. Is there a political will? Have you heard from anybody on either side of the aisle who is engaging a political will conversation to make this stop? Well, I've heard a few uh, different uh, thoughts about, you know, just an outright ban. Some of the, that might be a little difficult uh, from a legal standpoint. What I would like to see is the FBI reconstitute its China task force that was uh, disassembled as soon as Biden took office. This was something that Trump stood up. We need law enforcement to take a look at some of these strategic properties to get search warrants, get access to the property, and make sure that those property owners know that we're keeping a very close eye on them. Uh, that's, to me, the most important thing, is we, we need to uh, preemptively uh, be sure that there is nothing harmful on those properties that could compromise U.S. national security. That, to me, is the main threat. If you've got someone who's just parking money in America because they, they want to spread their assets around and, and they you know want to be, fancy themselves a cattle rancher in Texas, you know, that's fine. Uh, live the American dream. Great. More power to you. Glad you're here and not in China. But if you've got some jamming equipment on your property, if you have some, some uh, uh, other uh, technical intelligence equipment on your property, because, Tony, as you know, Every Chinese national is subject to being put under tremendous pressure by the Chinese Communist Party to participate in espionage. Uh, it's a routine thing for them. And even if you're a naturalized citizen, they know that you have relatives back home in China that they're going to put the arm on and force you to cooperate. So it's a big problem, Tony, and I don't think it's getting any better. I don't think we're seriously really trying to tackle this like we should be. Before I let you go, sir, while well, I still have just a, a couple of minutes, uh, same subject, military, but changing gears to a piece that you wrote back in the end of June. Uh, thanks to leftist corruption, U.S. military recruiting is in total free fall. And we noted last week that all the branches are questioning whether or not they're going to meet their recruitment goals. As you discuss it, it's the most severe staffing crisis since the advent of the volunteer force, all volunteer force, putting an end to the draft in 1973. Um, what is causing this and what makes you to say that it is leftist corruption specifically? Well, I think there's a, a few factors causing this. There's the usual economic factors. In other words, we have a very low unemployment rate right now, even though the civilian participation rate is also not all that great. So in other words, there's a lot of people sitting on the sidelines. That's number one. Number two, a, a lot more Americans are incapable of serving in the military because they're they're overweight. They, they don't meet the physical standards. And so you're beginning to see the military reduce standards, for example, accepting people without high school diplomas or, or GEDs or accepting people with uh, uh, neck tattoos or ta visible tattoos on their hands and, and things like that, which, you know, has negative repercussions down the road when it comes to good order and discipline. But there's a third factor, which is that the the sweet spot, the, the Americans who are highly patriotic, that want to serve their country, uh, often come from the heartland. They're looking at all those woke baloney, uh, you know, pronoun training in the, uh, in the Navy, for example. They're saying, 
I don't want to go serve with a bunch of people who hate me or who despise my my culture or my views. To heck with it. I've got better things to do. I'm not going to go serve in some like armed peace corps or some uh, you know armed social services arm of the federal government. And so they're just not joining. Chuck DeVore, you find him on Twitter at Chuck DeVore, D-E-V-O-R-E. Find more of him at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, texaspolicy.com. Always a pleasure to talk to you, sir. I've got more to get to. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. If I renounced my beliefs, if I agreed to stay silent, if I stayed at home and just took it easy, the persecution of Donald Trump would stop immediately. It would stop. But that's not what I will do. I can't do that. A much simpler life. Have to save our country. That has people thinking he's running for president. I have to save our country. That was Trump speaking. Uh, what was it the America First Policy Institute? That's what it was. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, his first trip back to D.C. I'm assuming he stayed at the Trump Hotel. It's got people thinking he's going to run. I, I, look, I, I, I'd love to be able to say, nah, I don't know what the guy's going to do. I have no idea what he's going to do. I know he's talking like a guy. Talking like a guy who's going to run. And how can you blame him? They're going to attack him. Of course they're going to attack him. But they're going to attack Ron DeSantis. I shared with you the Joy Behar disgustingness. I mean, this is how the Democratic Party paints everybody in the Republican Party by reinventing history. As members of the House Democratic Caucus on the official side, and we're going to continue to point out the distinctions between what we're about, putting people over politics, and what they're about, and their extremism. They're out of control. That's just the reality of the situation. They are completely and totally out of control, run by people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Lauren Boebert. This is not the Republican Party of John Boehner and Paul Ryan anymore. And we think that that's a problem. You told us that Paul Ryan was going to push grandma off a cliff. What the hell are you talking about? It's Hakeem Jeffries. It's like number three uh, there for the House Democrats. That's what you said. I can't remember all the nasty things you said about John Boehner, but Paul Ryan was going to push Meemaw off a cliff in her wheelchair, and then he was going to laugh maniacally and then go do P90X. This isn't the party of John Boehner and Paul Ryan anymore? Don't you get that for a vast number of Republicans, they're thrilled with that because they thought the party of John Boehner and Paul Ryan sucked. They thought it was weak. They thought it was go along to get along, lose on this and lose on that, but claim to be a conservative, and they hated it. And they wanted some fighters. What does Lauren Boebert ever do to anybody? Have a position? Have a point of view? 
You want to ask me if Marjorie Taylor Greene is loopy? I'll agree with you. So is the whole damn squad, the bunch of commies. I'm not down with communism. Jews don't have space lasers. But Marjorie Taylor Greene is less damaging to me than the commies. Because the commies hate Jews too. You want to talk about the anti-Semitism of Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, Congressman Jeffries? I am more than happy to sit down with you and break this one down. They don't want that Republican Party. They hated that Republican Party. They want a fighting Republican Party. And maybe you don't want all the crazy that comes with it, but these things have to settle. Their extremism is out of control. You're controlled by Ocasio-Cortez. You people push the Green New Deal. Don't believe in borders. And we're out of control. Sit down and be quiet. Or stand up and keep spouting your nonsense. We're just going to try and win elections. And point out your bigotry. Find everything at TonyKatz.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.